It's really great to be here tonight. And um, we've been friends, colleagues for many, many, many years. And I'm going to go through, I, I give workshops all over on, you'll, you'll hear a very uh, brief version. Um, everybody speaks Hebrew or Yiddish? Like if I throw in Hebrew words here and there, it's okay? No Hebrew. No Yiddish. I'll try to talk English. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking like words like stam, you know, like colloquial uh, words. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give these out, and you'll follow me page by page. We have part one, part two. So we're going to start with part one. And if some of you, and we'll just go page by page, try not to look ahead. And we're going to start on the first page, which I have, I, th I thought I made this up, but there really is something called the theory of connectivity. If there's any extras, you can pass them back up. So if anybody can figure out the equation on the bottom, that's why you need a pen also. Um, if anybody can figure it out, H equals MR equals C times C and T over R minus C. It's been a long time since I took algebra, but if anybody figured out, you come up here and you can give this workshop tonight. <laughs> okay, so if nobody, no volunteers, we'll go on to the next page. Since it's almost school, we have a quiz. Back to school quiz, okay? So if you don't, and I'm not going to, usually when I do this in three hours, I spend more time, but I think we'll kind of just do it all together and you could fill it in if you want. Okay, the first word that comes to mind that describes teenagers. Aurov says, Aurov says it's Mintaya Hadorbishi. Okay. Moody. Moody. Crazy. Crazy. Difficult. Difficult. Manipulative. Manipulative. Smarter. What? Smarter. Smarter, okay. I think we're, we're getting the idea of um, words that are relatively negative in nature. Right? And I'm going to answer the question that the chronological age really doesn't determine, it's not really an answer, but doesn't determine um, the end of teenagehood. Like 20, there's 21 teen, 22 teen, 30 teen. Yeah, well, I'm there. Hello? Uh, I forgot to, as part of my introduction, is that I've been on that side many times. So, been there, done that, still, to a certain degree. Okay, how do teens want to be described? The second question. How do they want to be described? What? Okay, so the answer, again, I'm not going to do discussion right now because it would really, we could have a whole discussion on everyone. They want to be described as positive, caring, searching, developing, growing, not as a bunch of aliens from another planet. They really think they're okay. It's us adults who have the problem, as you know. Okay, the number one answer when teens were asked, what do you need most from adults during your teenage years? The answer is not money. Support. Support, good. That's not the word I had in mind. Okay. The, the, the word that they all said is they want to be the number one word and this is going to tie into part two, is to be respected. That is the number one word when there was a survey done that they all said we want to be respected, listened to, understood, and appreciated 
for who we are and to accept us for who we are right now. And that right now is, even though it's a long journey ahead, that when we realize this is how they are right now, that doesn't mean two years, five years, ten years, that this is how they're going to be. Okay, so if the number one answer is respect, what does respect mean? We all want to be respected, and usually I would ask you, how do you like to be respected? How do you respect somebody else? What's the actual definition of the word respect? So I'll save you from the trouble. Okay, it's to treat with high regard, with human dignity, to preserve their dignity, to treat with special consideration. And you can look it up in Webster's. Okay, that's what respect is. If you look down the next question, there is no mention in the definition in respect of what and what. There's no mention of deserving respect. It's not part of the definition. Or earning respect. We hear it all the time. You have to earn my respect or he doesn't deserve. Not true. Kids are worthy of respect by their very being because they're all, like us, created B'Tselem Elohim. And in the part two, I'm going to describe one particular tool of how do you respect. It's a great word. We use it all the time. We know how we want to be respected. We know now the kids, the first thing they want during their, this tekufa, this time in their life, is to be respected. We know the definition to hold in high regard, to preserve their dignity, to treat them with special consideration. How do we do it? Lamaisa. How do you respect somebody? And I'm going to show you later. Okay. So you all passed the uh, quiz. You can go on to the next grade. All right. This chart, I have to credit my niece who did this for me many, many years ago. Um, I did it in stick figure figures, which I had to explain to her. And she transformed it into something terrific. What is control? We always hear about controlling parents. So control, I'm going to add to the definition that's on top in red. Control is trying to get your teen to do what you want them to do, trying to get your, cha- your teen to change, or trying to get your teen to be how you want them to be. And by the way, control is not just for teenagers. Control is between husband and wife. It could be between an employer, a boss, and an employee. If you look at the first picture. How do parents control? I call these the controlling behaviors. By the way, this came from Choice Theory by William Glasser, who, I don't know which came first. I know Shimon Russell came up with this, and Avi came up with it, and every uh, Rabbanim that I know, Avi, you know, you quote all the Rabbanim, and Rishonim, Akronim, Gedolim, Ketanim, everybody who follows this Mahalach, but also in the secular world, William Glasser wrote a book called Choice Theory that I really recommend, and another book especially as well, but I'll get to that afterwards. So he called them the seven deadly habits, but as I read through all of the books that he's written, there's many more than just seven. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have done this or used to do it or grew up in an environment, but it's called the external control world, okay? First one is criticizing, blaming somebody, nagging. How many times do I have to tell you to do X? 
bribing. If you do this, if you wear your hat on Shabbos, if you put on your jacket when you come to the table, right? if you clean up your room, I'll reward you or buy you something. Mussering. In English, it's called uh, lecturing. How many of you have done that and the kids roll their eyes? Because that's the last thing they want at any age. Even when my father, before he was nifter six years ago, he'd say, okay, here's what you do. I'd say, Ty, I got it. You know, like I'm over 50. <laughs> Nobody likes to be lectured. Sarcasm. My favorite story with sarcasm was a mother somewhere, and the daughter was wearing a long, long skirt touching the ground. The girl was totally off, totally hanging out and drugging and the whole bit and not keeping shop is really a, a very big problem. And I went over this with the mother. She said, I don't do any of that. I said, great. I mean, that, that's really wonderful. It didn't exactly, I couldn't understand them. Why is a kid like this if the mother is like this sadekis? And finally she says, well, maybe a little bit. You know, like when she walks into the room, so I look at her up and down, right? So it's a visual, you know, it's your... Um, reaction. Kids read us. They see, they know exactly what we're thinking. Shefala, you're wiping the floor again? You're sweeping the floor again? That's sarcasm. That's belittling. Punishing, complaining, threatening, confronting, attacking, forcing. I have stories for all of these. I'm just going to mention one. Confronting. A mother... It's not mine. Um, a mother got a phone call, or got an email 10 o'clock at night. In my day, we got phone calls. Nowadays, teachers communicate by email. That her son hadn't done his homework four times. And she was hysterical. She was really hands-on mom, good mom. And she can't wait for the morning. And 6.30, she goes to wake up her son. She practically jumps on him. What's with the homework? Well, how come you're missing four homework? Mom, good morning. Relax. And he has a whole explanation. That's attacking. She jumped all over him, you know, reacting to some information that she had. Now, what's so terrible about these things that most of us, raise your hands, how many of you are familiar with these controlling behaviors? How many of you grew up in a house with one parent or another who used these behaviors, who were controlling in this kind of way? You've seen it. Around, you hear it, I, I, I work in the JCC in Staten Island, there's an after-school program, I hear the counselors all the time threatening the kids, and I, I cringe. Okay? So what's so wrong? <laughs> We're all familiar with it. If you look at the second box, how does it make the teenager feel, or the other person feel? They feel hate, un unhappiness, misery, resentfulness. It builds up anger, desperation. They feel like retaliating, sadness, bitterness, resistance, Frustration, it adds to their pain, and it leads to power struggle and revenge. Not every single one of these, but if you can put yourself into that situation when you've been on the receiving end of somebody criticizing you or blaming or nagging, you know how those feelings inside of you, how the more you're the recipient of these behaviors by somebody else, the more you feel angry, the more you feel pain resentfulness, frustration. And what's the impact, the third box? The impact on the parenting relationship on a scale of 0 to 10. I've highlighted it. It's a 0, a 1, or a 2. 
And the chairs kind of represents that weakened relationship. And if I had more room, I would have pushed them farther apart. So what do parents do if they want to connect? Okay, if you look down at the bottom, how do parents connect? By respecting, which we'll get into soon, listening, understanding, appreciating, accepting. And for all of these words, I have specific tools that help parents do this. Um, I'll just give a brief uh, background. I taught for 29 years, Kita Aleph Moradvora. And because of situations with my kids, I got involved in learning in our own therapy and went back to school, became a social worker. And the day after I graduated, I took a coaching course. And the coaching course was about parents and teens. And a year later, I was certified parent and teen coach. And I've been mashling the workshops that I give and the help that I give to, to parents is a combination of the social work theories and practices with the coaching skills and tools. And that's what I'm going to be sharing with you. The first half is more social work. The second half is more of the coaching. When teens feel respected and listened to, how do they feel? If you look at the middle box, they feel loved and respected and understood. And what happens to the relationship? If you see that box over there, that says it all. And that's really our goal, is to have that kind of relationship. Okay, let's look at the next page. This is WDEP. The double, this is all part of the uh, choice theory. And it's a very effective tool when I work with parents, I know you've been with Avi for a while, I guess, so you're familiar with a lot of this stuff. But, you know, everybody, said, we all say the same thing in different, different ways. Okay, the W is what do you want? And we could spend an hour on this, because every we could put on a lot of different things that you want, but I pick one answer. You want a good relationship with your teen or a better relationship with your teen. The D is what are you doing, or I should say maybe what were you doing? Right? You might have been controlling, nagging, lecturing, threatening, all those things from the first box. The evaluation is, is what you were or are doing, is it helping you to get what you want? And when you really look at your behaviors of how you've been relating to your kid, and it's not just for your kid in pain, it's for any children, and it's also between husband and wife. It's really about relationships in general. Is what you're doing helping or hurting to get what you want? And the P is plan. What can I do differently? And, and this is where Rebavi has succeeded so magnificently because I, I was here a couple weeks ago when Avi gave a whole demonstration to a bunch of professionals and he has seen and this whole matzav and really helping desperate parents to do something different. Because if we all continued using our common sense, what we thought was common sense, then the situation just escalates. And by doing a different plan, a new plan, in Yetz Hashem, things get better. Okay, I'm going to go over 
Just a couple of choice theory points on the next uh, next page. It has a blue box at the bottom. Okay. <clears throat> External control destroys relationships. We become disconnected from those we want to be connected to. Happiness requires a relationship. Pleasure does not. You could be very happy when you're connected to people. When you do pleasurable things like smoking pot, it's pleasure. But when the kids are doing things that give them pleasure, it's very different than happiness. And to be really happy, and I'm sure the women maybe can relate to this more, if you spend an afternoon with a good friend, you feel really happy. If you have a good schmooze on the phone, you feel really happy. Maybe when you go shopping, you might feel some pleasure in buying something new, but it's different than a quality relationship. All we can, number three, all we can do is give another information. So instead of nagging and threatening and blaming, an example I usually use, if it's pouring outside and your teenager is about to go outside, short sleeves, it's 40 degrees, pouring outside, and what do you want to say? Hey, get your coat. Don't you know it's pouring? You need a coat. Go get your coat. How can you go out like that? Get, get, right? And we go into this whole spiel. When we pretend like we're the weatherman, if you ever listen to the news or TV, whatever it is, the weatherman says, today it's going to be 40 degrees and raining. He does not add, or she does not add, Devorah, you better go to your closet and take out your raincoat and umbrella. <laughs> but first they tell you what it's actually going to be. Or today it's going to be, you know, 90 and, and humid, so I'm not going to wear my winter coat. But they don't tell, right? They give information. And that's really, um, you know, even to my husband, I think he's wisened up to me already, uh, I said, wow, the garbage is almost flowing, overflowing, okay? Now, usually I just take and I take it out myself. Um, but when we give information, then people... I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do homework right now. It's summer vacation. <laughs> but I, but it, it kids are homework, I think, depending on the level, depending on how it... There's no blanket answer. And it really depends on the age. But homework is really the responsibility of the kid. And when you meet with the teachers and you get the teachers. I remember, I was a teacher for a long, long time. But I, I'd rather, can we hold that for the end? And we'll talk a little bit about it. Okay. These questions are the most important questions that I've ever learned. Questions to ask yourself to improve any relationship in your life. The first one is, will what you say or do bring you closer or push you farther away from this person that you want a meaningful relationship with? With my own kids, it's like somebody you know, shuts my mouth, twists some uh, twisties around it, masking tape, puts my hand behind my back, and there's a smile, right? Because I think all the time, is what I'm going to say or do going to bring me closer to this kid or push me farther away? The second question, is it better to be right or to be connected? 
And I got news for you, we're always right. 99% of the time, we are right. But if you look at the third question, third point, being right at what cost to the relationship? And how much does it matter that you're right? So you might be right, but if it's going to destroy the relationship, you might win the battle, but you're going to lose the war. And many years ago, I think I won a significant number of battles, but I lost the war big time. Okay. One other point on the next page. Glasser talks about five basic needs. I'm going to just focus on two of them. <clears throat> because I think part of this whole Parsha is being able to put ourselves into our kids' footsteps, into their shoes, to be able to feel what they're feeling. Because when they are behaving a little bit crazy and they start to change and we can't really understand what's going on, it's really important to kind of put ourselves in their shoes to gain a better understanding. So the first of the basic need, well, let me just preface it. The most basic need is called the survival need, to have food, clothing, and shelter. After that, there's four emotional needs, and the two most important ones are, number one, love and belonging. Imagine that you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Being close and connected and loving with people you, caring, you care about. Feeling that you fit in. Being accepted by peers and family. Belonging, feeling part of something, belonging to a group. Connecting with people. Family relationships and friendships. If you think back to your own time growing up, even now I know women, some women don't go to a bar mitzvah or a wedding unless they go with somebody. Because what if I walk in and I don't fit in, if I don't see somebody I know? We all have that basic need to fit in and belong. And if you go to school in 7th grade or ninth grade or 10th grade, and you don't feel that you fit in and belong, you feel different, it's a really huge thing that parents can't understand. Because we just want our kids to be happy and, and successful. But most of them, one of the things that, that um, is a precursor to them going off and doing all these Meshuggah things is these deep feelings of pain. And one of the reasons is that feeling of not fitting in, not belonging. Now you can imagine the impact of not fitting in, the impact of lack of peer acceptance on learning. If you don't feel accepted by your friends. If you don't, if the, imagine the impact of strained family relationships. Imagine the impact of feeling like a worthless outsider. Your kid, most kids cannot come home and say, you know, Ma, I feel like a worthless outsider. They, they internalize it. They, they don't, they're not able at that age to verbalize these feelings that cause them so much pain. The number two, power, self-worth. We all have a basic need to achieve, to accomplish, to be recognized, to feel worthwhile. 
to feel pride and empowerment. And you can imagine when a kid might have learning problems and they're feeling that they don't fit in, the impact of learning challenges to feelings of self-worth, the impact of learning challenges to feelings of accomplishment, the impact of problem behaviors to being respected and recognized. That when a kid is overwhelmed with these feelings of not fitting in and belonging, feeling different, and not achieving and accomplishing. And I tell, I'm a, I'm a woman, as you know, so I relate more to the women, but even if, you're, if you are a stay-at-home mom who says, well, I don't, quote, work outside the home, anybody who sits down, any mother or father who sits down at the Shabbos table, whether you bought all the food or you made all the food, and you set the table, even if it's paper plates and, you know, cheapo napkins, you can set, uh, you see a certain sense of satisfaction. I got the food, I made it nice. Whether you made the challah or you bought the challah, you take a certain pride when you sit down and say, I pulled it all together. It's an achievement, it's an accomplishment. But when kids are teenagers and they don't feel any sense of accomplishment and achievement, and it doesn't matter if they are a genius or if they have severe learning disabilities. The feelings are identical. And the feelings of not fitting in and belonging are also across the spectrum. Whether the kid is brilliant or whether severely learning disabled, these are two very, very powerful feelings. And when we recognize it and we have compassion and rahmanis on the kids that they're struggling so much, that they're in so much pain, it gives us a, a little bit of a, it makes it easier for us to follow through with what Rebavi is, is teaching, that the only thing that's really going to help them is this unconditional love. I'm going to stop for a second, and on the way out, everybody is welcome to take one of these. The first article here called Sticky Fingers uh, was written in Mishpacha magazine, uh, I think two years ago. And the reason I, uh, there's kind of a funny story behind it, it's about a boy who was stealing um, and impossible at home. And I was reading it on a Thursday night that was my treat before I started all my Shabbos preparation. And I'm reading it, and I say, okay, so the mother is really struggling, and then it's a horrible, horrible situation. And then she says, well, my, my Yeshua came when I got introduced to a social worker who's also a parent and teen coach, and she introduced me to choice theory. I said, gosh, that sounds just like me. And I'm reading more, and as she's describing what this wonderful therapist named Ita Kurland is telling her, I said, this is like coming out of my mouth. These are my words. But I didn't recognize the story because it happened six years before that. And for three weeks I went nuts because I, I said, it's got to be me. Who else has, has done everything that I've done? And finally I get an email. Hi, Devorah, remember me? Calling from uh, far away, an air, uh, a long airplane ride away. And says, I hope you uh, get Mishpacha magazine if not, I want to send it to you. And all of a sudden it clicked. She says, I wrote so-and-so's story and I gave you a pseudonym. I hope you don't mind. I said, don't mind? <laughs> it was Gavaldic. But when you read 
how she changed and how she implemented unconditional love. And how did she quote me so well? Because she saved every email that we sent and she took notes on every phone conversation. So it's really a Gavaldic story and I'm uh, very impressed with me to Mrs. Ita Kurland. <laughs> okay, the next one is called My Son on the Rebound. And it's written by Rachel Pasternitsky, um, whose real name is Devora Weiss. And I wrote this 10 years ago about my son. And at the end, it talks about he, get, he got engaged and he was wearing a hat and payas and bekisha. And he still wears a hat and I don't think he has payas. And he still wears a beksha on Shabbos. And then on Sunday, if you bump into him in the makolet, he's in shorts and flip-flops. And uh, the first marriage didn't quite work, but the second one seems to be good. So even though it was written 10 years ago, everything in here is still valid today of the mahalach that I got, and my husband and I got together, and how we grew and how we changed. And the third one is something that was written with my name on it. Um, I think it was in Yated last Shavuos, and it also has um, a sidebar that also describes this mahalach. So I save that for the end so you'll listen to me instead of reading all these uh, Gavaldic stories, okay? All right, so this is the end of the first booklet, right? Um, any questions on the basic idea here is any of the control, controlling behaviors don't work. Um, from that first picture, the nagging, blaming, threatening, bribing, punishing, none of that stuff works. It causes tremendous pain, frustration, anger, bitterness, resentment, many, many different feelings, and the end result is the relationship is disconnected. And what we're here tonight and what Ribavi is working on so much is that the broken connections and the broken relationships from our kids who are broken and in pain, that we really hold the key, part of the key, because Baruch Hu holds one too, right, or a bigger one. But our hishtadlus is to be the best parents that we can be and to really grow from this nisayan that nobody here asked for. I certainly didn't. And I wouldn't be here today had I not grown through the many, many very difficult nisyanos that, uh, that we went through. Can you explain to them why you're here and the services that you can offer them if they want to reach you better? Okay. Um, Baruch Shem, I have a phone, a home phone and a cell phone. And I've been counseling parents. I, I guess you, you only work with stage four, right? So I guess I work with stage one or two, maybe a little stage three. And I basically, because of my educational background, I think I'm a pretty good teacher, and I really teach choice theory. I gave you like a little taste of it tonight, because when parents call me when, help, my daughter has a boyfriend. My daughter's texting on Shabbos. My son has a girlfriend. I want to tell you a quick story of somebody that I helped. Um... And I, again, I changed little details, and it happened many years ago to make sure it's um, not identifiable. So she called me up. She didn't tell me her name, and it was 
before a caller ID, I think, where I didn't have it. So I had no idea. She made up a name, and that's what I called her. And very from, very Hasidish, um, very into the culture of a very Haredi community and all the social norms in a very, like uh, I guess certain parts of Borough Park or Flatbush or Muncie or Lakewood or B'nai Brock or that type of place. Um, she dressed like only in black and white. Um, and here she has this one daughter in the middle of the family and she got kicked out of one Beis Yaakov and she got kicked out of another Beis Yaakov because she was talking to a boy or seen with a boy or texting. I, mean, I think there was texting then. And this was like a Shanda and she couldn't handle it. And she took away the phone and the girl is screaming and yelling and I'm out of here and I hate you and all that kind of stuff. I said, number one, you need to apologize to your daughter. And I coached her. In fact, I didn't bring, I have a sample letter of how parents can, uh, you know, apologize for those kind of behaviors. I'm sorry for hurting you. And, okay, we had a whole thing about that. She gave back the phone. And the daughter goes to Eretz Yisrael. She gets kicked out of one seminary. She gets kicked out of another seminary because you're not supposed to have boys and girlfriends. You know, it's like, it's us or it's like mixing milk and fleshik or something. Uh, even though I've heard other rabbanim and therapists say that sometimes the best thing for these kids is to have a, a good girl or a good boy in their life. Even if they don't seem good to us right then, but they, in their own way, are mechazek each other. Anyway, the mother's going crazy even though she keeps getting kicked out. She's finally in a place. And then one day comes the phone call, Ma, I met my future husband. Mother's flipping out altogether. What am I going to do? She's coming home. I said, good, so invite him for Shabbos. She used to call me midnight. And by the way, this is already a year and a half into our relationship. I still don't know her first name. She trusted me, because, and she wrote me a letter. It said, Devorah, I felt like a drowning woman <coughs> in the middle of the ocean, and I had to cling on to this one... What's it called? A, a boy, B-O-U-Y, whatever it is. B-O-Y, I can't spell. Um, I felt like a drowning woman clinging on to this. I had nothing to lose, so I tried your way. And she did tell me her name, by the way. And she invites the boy to come for Shabbos, and she I gave her what to give over to her kids, because this isn't done in that neighborhood. And he comes... And she calls me up after Shabbos and says, you know, he's, he's a nice boy. Can you imagine he wore a blue shirt on Shabbos? We got over that. Um, I went to the wedding. By the way, I had never met her because this was only a telephone relationship. P.S. Uh, she invited me to the wedding. No, she invited me first to the Vort. I traveled pretty far to go in. And I had to ask, where's the mother of the Kala? <laughs> no idea what she looked like. <laughs> and wish her mazel tov, and she's looking at me, and she doesn't know me. So I kept talking <laughs> until she finally got it, who I was. And then she schlepped me around the room, introducing me to everybody there. She wouldn't let go of me, and of course I went to the wedding. What's the P.S.? The P.S. is that this girl is married very happily. She went to an out-of-town community with her husband, 
They have four or five kids. They send them to Beis Yaakov, and they are a wonderful, wonderful couple. They are not cookie-cutter the way the parents are, you know, straight, black and white, Hasidish type. She dresses with a flair. She covers her hair. She wears a shetel. She's like, like a fancier type, not like plain and simple like me. This mother gets most nachas from this couple and from the grandchildren. If she had followed her instincts, this kid would be somewhere in Timbuktu today. She would have had no relationship with her daughter. The daughter would have been out of there with anger because you don't love me and you don't accept me for who I am. Another story that I haven't really shared, um, and I have to change some of the details. Another family has really been through the, through the mill with a son who spent many years in jail, breaking in, entering, wasn't involved with drugs, but just an unhappy camper, lacking in social skills, and has a good heart, and finally met a nice Jewish girl after he has had an association with a, with a non-Jewish girl. They have a baby. The parents don't accept the baby. Of course, it's, it's not a Jewish baby. It's very difficult. Maybe they should. I don't know. And for about a year, he was living with this girl until finally she's pregnant. This is the second girl who's coming comes from a religious family. And unfortunately, she was molested by a brother, and other kids in the family were molested, and each one went off in their own direction. Parents are mentally ill with different issues. These two kids found each other. And she gets pregnant again. Parents, this time were very supportive, the two Jewish kids in pain. And even though there's all kinds of issues with Parnassa and this and that, parents gave him a car, their car, one of their cars. They rented a car. They leased a car, gave him a car that's like five, six years old, put down $5,000 for an apartment, paying the rent for six months, and made a comment, you know, like sort of pasnished already. What do you think about getting married? Chopak Kedushin. They said, sure. They got married with ten people. No big deal. Her side is still not accepting them. His side very much does. And with the parents' support and some rabbis who are involved, they are embarking on a new beginning and they want to keep Shabbos. It's an ongoing, ongoing story. Okay, part two. Where are my helpers? Thank you. <clears throat> okay, so we spoke about before... This is a, a skill now that is so pushed and so simple, 
and so powerful that when you use it in conjunction with all the amazing things that Rebavi is telling you, can only add to the relationship and hopefully will add. Okay, we good? I'm not putting you to sleep, right? Good. Okay, what is respect? To hold in high regard and high esteem, think highly of feelings of deep admiration, and there's no mention of earning or deserving respect. Who is worthy of respect? All people and creatures on this planet were created by Tzalem Elohim, therefore worthy of respect. It's at times like this when you have a difficult kid that the kid is so disrespectful and it's so easy to mirror their behavior. And yet, when we hold ourselves as we get it, we understand their pain. In fact, when you read the story that I wrote about my son, you'll see I gave an analogy of, I always use the word, I love you no matter what. And I, one day I asked my son, what does no matter what mean? And there are two stories in there. The first, and I guess I'll repeat it now. He was in Eretz Yisrael, and of course we're paying a fortune, like money was like uh, turning on the water faucet and just flowed and flowed, whether there was money or not money, you know. And he lost his passport, and he had a ticket for a day and a half later. And we went through tons of money and all kinds of hoops. He had to go from Spat to Tel Aviv and back to Yerushalayim. And every step along the way, we kept sending him more money until, miracle, miracles, he got the new passport. He came home. And the first thing I wanted to say is what or do. I wanted to strangle him, right? And how the heck did you lose your passport? But what did I say instead? Let me see the new picture. Right? And a few months later, I said to him, you know, I'm always saying I love you no matter what. Do you know what that means? No. said, the passport. That's I love you no matter what. The other example that's in there that describes what does it mean to be in pain is imagine somebody lying in bed with two broken legs. Would you go to the door and say, hey, open the door. Can't you see I'm carrying things? Open the door. Would you say that to somebody laying in bed in traction, moaning in pain? Would you say, hey, get off the bed and help me clean for Pesach? I remember once my son came home. He was 17. He had been in Eretz Israel for the year. And my mother-in-law, she should live and be well, said to me, well, He's home. I'm sure he's helping you. Yeah, maybe all your other grandchildren are, but not mine. The most I did was when that garbage was overflowing and he was making a beeline for the front door. Once in a while, I could take him and put it in his hand, then he went out with it. That was it. Because he, he wasn't there. He was in such pain and agony that you, you could see he was suffering. There's no way that, that I made Pesach alone. I wouldn't dare to ask him to do anything because he was suffering. So that example of the broken legs is really the 
the visual picture of what it means to be a kid who's suffering and a kid who's in pain, a kid who's feeling, as I said before, that they don't fit in, they don't belong. I don't fit into this family. Or the school isn't a good match. Or I'm not succeeding. And a host of other things. Okay, let's get back to respect. The best way to teach respect is to show respect. When a child experiences respect, they know what it feels like, and they begin to understand how important it is. All right, if we had more time, I would go over the questions. In what way do you like to be respected? How can you show respect to your teen? And how can your teen feel respected? So now I'm going to demonstrate the respect tool. If you look at the, uh, it says on the bottom, pride versus respect, accomplishments versus qualities. So here's the three examples. If I said to you, number one, I'm so proud of you all for coming today to learn new tools. How does that sound to you? Don't all raise your hands at once. Okay. Does it feel good? Nobody's overwhelmed, which is good. Because truly, if I say I'm so proud of you, two comments. Number one, it's demeaning. Who am I to be proud of you? And number two, it's like I'm up here and you're down here. We're not equals. And what am I saying? I'm proud of you for coming. I'm proud of you for an action that you did. Now tell me how this sounds. And I would never put the three underlying words into one sentence, but I do it for an example. I so respect your commitment, devotion, compassion for your teens that you gave up, what is tonight? Monday night to learn new parenting tools. How does that sound? More, more real, okay? Because I'm not using word, I'm so proud of you. I'm saying I so respect not what you're doing, your action. Your action is underneath it. What are the qualities that you have underneath that action? You came tonight, yes, but the qualities are your commitment, your devotion, your compassion is what brought you here. And I'm saying I respect those qualities. You see the difference between number one and number two. Okay? Um, number two, I'm so, for a kid, I'm so proud of you for figuring out that difficult homework problem. Versus, and again, I would not use all these words. I'm doing it for an example of what different qualities are. I so respect your diligence or your drive or your determination your persistence and perseverance really paid off. Now imagine using just one of those words with your, doesn't have to be your kid in pain, it could be any other kid. Number three, I'm so proud of you, if I'm talking to all of you, I'm so proud of you for not giving up under these trying circumstances. Versus, I so respect your inner strength and your determination to become the best parent that you can be. Do you hear how the second one sounds? It's specific. And what's the focus? Future. Pardon? The future. The future. And I am focusing on qualities that you have. I'm not focusing on your action that you came here tonight. 
I'll give you another example. Years ago, when my six-year-old granddaughter was visiting, she cleared the table. So instead of saying, I'm so proud of you for clearing the table, I said to her, wow, I so appreciate, I didn't use the word respect for her, I so appreciate your thoughtfulness. Thanks so much for helping me. And she just stood there. I'll give you one other example, and then we'll go on to the next page. I work part-time for Med Council in New York, and I also work at the JCC during the day. I do all my fun stuff at night and Sundays. Um, and when I was hired uh, 11 years ago, there was a black lady <coughs> who was going to be my boss. She had been there already 30 years. I'm very proud of the work that she does. She's been written up in the papers and all this and that. She's showing me the ropes, and I'm listening and nodding, and I have all the forms. I think I know what to do and all that. And I said, okay, I'm going to use the respect tool. And at the right moment, I said, wow, I so respect your commitment, your passion, and your devotion to your clients. You're no different today than you were 30 years ago. And her reaction was, she straightened up her shoulders, and I felt like I had just jumped into the palm of her hand. When I gave this workshop, maybe a year or two later, for all the social workers there, I asked her beforehand, can I use an example? And I reminded her what it was. I was demonstrating this tool. And she says, I remember. And she repeated verbatim what I had said. This is a very powerful tool. I had one mother who thought it was terrific, and she calls me up a week later, and she says, Zavora, I need a new word. I said, what are you talking about? She says, you know, respect. I need a new word. I said, how many times are you using it? Oh, five, ten times a day. I said, you don't need a new word. You can't overuse it. This is, like I would say, your challenge ongoing is to find circumstances with all your kids, with your spouse, where you see something that they're doing and you're looking, what's the quality underneath it? And I'll give you some other examples in a minute. Okay, I spelled it out on the next page. There are times when the word respect, which I consider the top word, but there are other words that might be appropriate that convey the same thing in different situations. So you might say, I so, or I really, or I truly respect your, and I'm going to just use one word, honesty. Or, I so admire your honesty or I really appreciate your honesty, or I want to acknowledge your honesty. I'm in awe of your honesty. I'm blown away by your honesty. So if you don't feel that using, I would say with your kid in pain, I would really try to use that word respect because that's what they want. They want to feel respected. And the more you can use it, not five times a day, and not every day, but to realize that when they, they will feel respected by your using the word respect.
Okay, on the next page, there's also another way. These are just examples. I respect or admire or appreciate or I'm in awe of or I'm blown away by. And now if you look at B, your ability to X, your desire to, your willingness, your determination. And I used to not give this out. If you look at the next page, I'm giving you my holy list. It's actually a lot more words of qualities. And they're on two pages. And if you look them over for a moment, and even if your son or daughter, right now, if I asked you, is your kid really very mature? How many of you would say yes? But if you find something that you can say, you know, I really respect your maturity when you did X or Y. I really respect your self-control. And you back it up with whatever that action was. That you find ways to use some of these words, whether it's in a note, whether it's in a text message, whether it's in an email, even if it was um, the, the, the most the smallest example of niceness that they did. Or it could even be, I so respect your commitment to your friends. I so admire your devotion to your friends. I wish I had that kind of connection with my friends. Doesn't mean you're happy with all those friends, but you're, you're, he's feeling respected and admired. If you look at this, their enthusiasm, their honesty, their loyalty to their friends, their resiliency, their self-control, whatever the word is that, that you think would be matim, appropriate, at that moment, that you, you keep track of different situations. And it's not just for this kid in pain. The other kids in the house need this just as much because they're the ones who are on your team in, in loving unconditionally to this kid in pain. And that's why this tool is really, really invaluable. If we had more time, I would have you check off or practice with a partner of situations of how to use it because giving it over in, in three minutes doesn't really do justice. Does anybody have any questions, comments about this or suggestions? Okay, we'll come back to it in a minute. On the last page is a family mantra that I came up with. Family is about being there to help and support and respect each other. It means that we can love and count on each other. It doesn't mean that we have to share or agree on lifestyles, values, hopes, dreams, religious beliefs, or politics. We should honor, the, honor each other's opinions and expressions. And of course, this needs to be backed up with behaviors, spoken actions, vibes. We give off lots and lots of negative vibes. And that when we work on ourselves, so that when we are focusing on, like this other couple with the son. <clears throat> who's been in jail, 
and not thinking about all they've given and all they've given up and really focusing on you guys are, are an awesome couple, right? I respect your determination to make it work. I know you're going to be matzliach. If the mother can focus on the positive and say it with conviction, and that's, I think, a key to using this respect tool, is really focusing on these words um, and using them. I've given on the two previous pages examples of how it can be used, but any way that you use and focus on the quality of a person, whomever it might be, whether your boss or your employer, your husband, your wife, all the kids in the family, uncles, aunts, Avi, right? What would we say to Avi? So respect your... Okay, I, we could add that. But cut five words on the list. I so respect your devotion, your commitment to the kids and parents, your resiliency. How many times has his life been interrupted? Dedication. Dedication. Willpower. Willpower. That's a good word. What? <laughs> We're practicing, Avi. I think they all they all apply, okay. <laughs> but when we focus on, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. I once had to speak. A friend of mine was moving out of town. And everybody got together, a bunch of women. And who's going to speak? And, of course, all the women there. Everybody's afraid. Nobody wants to talk. I said, no problem, I'll talk. <laughs> Why? Because I had my cheat sheet. I thought about her. And I went down the list. And I said, okay, what words apply and, okay, what are some examples of it? Because it's not just somebody has inner strength. What's an example of their inner strength? It's not just that somebody's industrious. What's an example? It's not that somebody uh, is courageous, has courage or creativity or loyalty. What's an example? So I thought of the words that were appropriate. I thought of examples, and I got up and spoke. Everybody was blown away. I didn't even write a word. I had... Just the list of words and the examples. This is a really powerful tool to connect with your kids, with all kids, with all people. It enhances all relationships. That's what my my card says, right? Um, Something about relationships. Uh, Relationship architect, building better relationships one family at a time. It's really one person at a time that if you take this home and you really sincerely practice because it's really hard in the beginning on top of everything else that you do that's really hard but when you get used to a new vocabulary a new way of speaking a focusing that you have this list on the inside of your kitchen cabinet or something or in your purse and you really make it a priority to build up your kid very nonchalantly you might be in the car with them and say, you know, wow, you know, I really admire your selflessness. Or I really admire your self-control when you did X and Y C. Oh, by the way, did you see that store is changing? Change the topic. It's like you go in and out with a, with a zinger, and you're not, you know, like crying all over it or anything. It's like a shock. But it goes in, and it touches the core of the person. 
And that's what you want to do to connect with your kid, that you want to touch them so deeply that even if they rip up the note that you write, or even if they don't answer the text message, or even if they hang up the phone, or they grumble, it's touching them in a profound way. And in addition to all the things you're getting them or doing for them, when this verbal communication of using this tool, and of course not, right now I know everybody has given up all those controlling behaviors, and when you focus on this, Mietz Hashem, in addition to everything else that Rabavi is uh, teaching you, Mietz Hashem, ten years from now, five years from now, two years from now, you'll be standing up here and, and telling over your story and what tools you used to help you connect with your kid. And that's just the first one. If I'm ever invited back again, then there's one on listening from their point of view and other... But this is the major one. Okay, so now you can figure it out. Okay, H stands for... Thank you for reminding me. Happiness. H stands for happiness. Happiness comes from MR, meaningful relationship. Money wasn't even, like, nobody was thinking money. Money and real estate. I would have said that. Okay, equals, the C, the first C is connecting. S and T, skills and tools. Minus C, minus control, over a foundation of respect. And if you know of any other parents who are not at stage four, who need a little physic, please feel free to give out my number or my contact information. Thank you.